This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. I want to talk about and remind us all that everyone is invited into God's family. Everyone is invited to his table. At the end of my preach, we're going to take or receive communion together. And at my home church in Reading, we're in the middle of a sermon series helping us to think about diversity. Uh, Now, you may be thinking, oh, here we go again. Is the church just following the world's agenda? Well, actually, we are really buzzing with diversity. Now, I just want to quickly say, you do recognise we're naturally, we're drawn to be with those people who are like us. You know, that's very natural and normal. Uh, And so, uh, we like to hang out with people who either look like us, or those who think like us, or the same age as us or the same life stage as us because quite frankly it's just easier to relate to people who are like us. That's normal and natural but it's not what the gospel demands of us. The, The gospel demands something so much more from us because the gospel demands that we break down the dividing walls between us. Now, many of us are familiar with that, and that together, when we gather as God's people, there's something about us that should display the multicoloured wisdom of God. Now, God has always been into diversity. God's people aren't catching up with the world's agenda. The world is catching up with God's agenda. God is not ambiguous on the issue of diversity because he's always been working for an international, diverse, multi-ethnic church. And whilst it's true that not all churches will be diverse as others, it must be said that all churches should reflect the diversity of the community they serve. But, but you know this already, and I know that. But I, I wonder, I want to spend some time this morning, given that you've now appointed an African elder. Thank you, Loretta, for the uh, leopard, leopard skin print. Is it leopard skin? I don't know, whatever it is. An African print skin. Now, that was hugely prophetic for me, that you are now receiving Africans into the European leadership of this church. Because there is a call to that that you must get on this morning, if nothing else. And how you work that out locally is as important as how you work that out kind of nationally and internationally. Because the call of God on this church is yes for the nation, but also for Cheltenham. And we're going to go on a little bit of a journey around this. And yes, I am aware that you have a reputation in Cheltenham of being a monoculture, white, middle-class town or city. I know that. That's not a surprise to me, but I'm going to get to that later on. And I'm just kind of reading the room now. Have I lost everyone now? 
Holy Spirit, come upon us now. Come and stir hearts. We pray for an impartation this morning. We thank you, Holy Spirit, uh, that you have raised up African elder uh, to this church. And we want to see the significance of that. So come, Holy Spirit, help me now to teach clearly uh, what you inspire to be written in the Bible. Come now, Holy Spirit, I pray. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Today, I'm going to take us through a whistle-stop tour of Scripture to show us that everyone is invited to God's table. Everyone. Everyone is invited to God's table. If you've got a Bible, please turn in it, please, to Acts chapter 13. We're going to start there. I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. I'm really enjoying it. It's a breath of fresh air in the way it's phrasing things. I'm reading from that this morning. If you don't have an NLT on your phone or old school paper copy. Here we go. Among the prophets and teachers of the church at Antioch of Syria were Barnabas, Simeon called the black man, Lucius from Cyrene, Manion, the childhood companion of King Herod Antipas, and Saul. One day, as these men were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, dedicate Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them, we've done that this morning, haven't we, and sent them on their way. So the first thing I want to start is, I want to point out and let us to see the leadership of the church at Antioch of Syria, the leadership of the church at Antioch. The reason we're sitting here today in this art centre is most likely because of this prayer meeting in this Syrian city in the late AD 40s. The mission to the Gentiles, so the Gentiles is anyone who's not Jewish, this mission to the Gentiles, that's us, started here. And notice the diversity of the leadership of this church. You've got Barnabas. He was a Jew from uh, Cyprus. So he was a European Jew. We've got Simeon called Niger. He was a black African man. We've got Lucius from Cyrene. He was also a black African man from Libya. We've got Manion. He was a Jewish West African. Asian man. So this is continents now. Obviously Asia's massive east-south. This is from West Asia, some around Turkey region, I'm guessing, some around there. So we've got Manion, a Jewish West Asian man, and we've got Saul. He was a West Asian Jew from Tarsus, which is in modern-day Turkey. And so in the leadership of this church in Antioch, we've got three Jews and two Gentiles among the prophets and teachers. Or to cut it another way, we've got two black Africans two West Asians and one European in this diverse leadership team. That's brilliant, isn't it? This is the church of God is at work. Now, we need to keep reminding ourselves, not every city is as diverse as Antioch, but every church should reflect the diversity of the community that they serve. Antioch, if you remember or are familiar, it's on the kind of the eastern Mediterranean trade route, so it would have been really diverse. People... Uh, passing through Antioch, getting saved and capturing and stewarding the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this diverse leadership of church has continued throughout church history. If you've done any church history, you will know that some of the most influential leaders through church history have been Africans and Asians 
and Europeans. And if you're here from the Americas or Australia, the, the, they just didn't know you existed then, but we do now. So we're not calling you out, but it was, it was the Africans. Uh, the North Africans were shaping our theology. Our early church fathers were these kind of Africans and these kind of West Asians. And then the Europeans, kind of several hundred years ago, we had our big burst onto the theological scene. But we need to remember that these vast continents, this has always been going on throughout church history. God has always desired a diverse people. And we can see this intention right at the beginning of the story of God's people. Because it all started with Abraham. It begins with Abraham. So Genesis 1 through to 11, that is the account of God's creation and sin's entrance into it. Essentially, Genesis 1 to 11 explains the world as we know it today. But the story of God's diverse people starts in Genesis 12 when he speaks to Abraham. God says to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you. In you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Every family, that is nation, tribe, clan, is to be blessed through Abraham and his descendants. And so this story progresses. Hopefully I'm reminding you, or many of you, what is familiar to to you. As the story progresses, we find Joseph feeds Egypt. And so we see a glimpse of the families of the earth being blessed through a descendant of Abraham. When God's people flee from Egypt, a rabble of non-Israelites were added to them. We see that in Exodus 12, 23. Now outsiders are being gathered in and they receive all the privileges of being with God's people. The first non-Jew to be part of God's people is Moses' brother-in-law. At least that's what I think from my study of it. Hobad. And Moses says to Hobad, the non-Jew, come with us and we will do you good. And it's the Abrahamic promise being outworked. And as they journey, more people are added to the people of God. We have Rahab the prostitute. She was a Canaanite. And we've got Ruth. The widow, the Moabitess. So now we've got Canaanites being added in and Moabites being added in. We've got prostitutes being added in and we've got widows being added into the people of God. Obed-Edom, well he was blessed by hosting the ark of God in his own home. He then left with the ark when it moved to the city of David to be with God's people. Now Edomites are being added into the people of God. And this continues until we get to the arrival of Jesus Christ. Now when Jesus came, he preached mostly to Israel, at least initially. But he keeps getting stopped so that dogs get to eat crumbs from the children's table. If you know the story of Jesus, non-Jews kind of call out to him and they say, please, we're happy with the crumbs of your good news. Give us some of this bread of life. Uh, even a Roman officer comes to him and says, I've got this young servant that's precious to me, please come and heal him. Jesus is invited and he includes the wrong people. You know, Levi was a tax collector. He was Jewish and most likely considered a traitor because he was raising taxes from his own people and extorting more money than he ought to. And there was never any comeback on him. He was considered a traitor and yet Jesus kind of called him and included him amongst his closest friends. Jesus cleared the temple at Jerusalem. Why? 
Because it was supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations. That, that's us. Everyone is invited. Jesus said his kingdom was like a banquet that everyone was invited to. But the guests were invited, they didn't want to come. So what did he do? He sent his servants out to gather people in the highways and the hedges. Spoiler alert, that's us. You know, we were those in the highways and hedges because the initially invited people, they didn't want to come. So Jesus said, that's fine. Go and fill my house. But you've got to have the right clothes. You've got to have the right, you've got to be robed in righteousness, which only Jesus can give you. It's amazing. As Jesus dies, a Roman centurion watches and declares, this man truly is the son of God. He's the wrong person to be able to declare that. And yet the Holy Spirit has illuminated something to him. So a Gentile confesses who Jesus truly is. Why is that? Because everyone is invited. Jesus' final command to his followers is that they go into all the world and make disciples of... So this is how it works, okay? So I'm queuing you up. So then it's just a bit more interaction on me to know you're following me. So Jesus goes into the world and makes disciples of? All nations. Makes disciples of? All nations. Why is that? Because everyone is invited to, to feast at his table, to be part of his family. But having said all this, we don't really get diversity yet. Because diversity is when the many... They express their manyness while also expressing their oneness. That's diversity. When, you, when many come together, yes, we're many people, and on top of that, we take a sense of oneness whilst retaining our manyness. Because at that point, Gentiles, that would be us, joining God's people had to become like them, and we had to take on their food laws and their observances. Essentially, he had to convert to Judaism. They had to imitate Jews. You can come with us if you become like us. That is not diversity. That is conformity. The call then was to become the same as Jews. But it all changes in the book of Acts because in the book of Acts, we start to see Jesus' desire for a diverse people being outworked powerfully. He sends his Holy Spirit who brings oneness and manyness. This is what the Holy Spirit does. We see it in the book of Acts. We see oneness and we see manyness. And to better understand this idea of gospel diversity, because we're going to land at the end of this meeting and we've got to... God is calling you to do some thinking, some soul-searching as a church now. So to help us understand these two analogies, to better understand gospel diversity, I'm going to use two analogies. First of an orchestra, and then the Amazon River. So first, the orchestra, an orchestra. Now an orchestra is a large ensemble of classical musical instruments. They're combined from different families. Now, pop quiz now, who can shout out some of the families of instruments in an orchestra? Strings, yeah? Woodwind, yes? Brass, very good. Percussion, very good. And the last and controversial one? No, no. Voices, 
keyboard. Oh, keyboard. The piano. There's oh. very apparently for the musicians. That's a there's a piano, grand one at the back there. You see. So anyway, so we've got these kind of five large instruments. Essentially, they all play one overarching piece of music. Yeah, it, each section, sometimes each instrument plays differing parts. The alternative to that is not a pleasant experience. Can you imagine a hundred people playing the same tune on a recorder? I can remember distinctly, each time my kids have learnt the recording, pa, 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 it's hideous. Can you imagine, so a symphony orchestra, that's a hundred people, a hundred people screeching away on recorders. It's conformity, but it sounds poor, if not screechy. But manyness, without oneness, lots of different instruments, but no togetherness, what is that? That is a cacophony. Can, it's easy. Can you imagine the racket if we took a box of instruments into kids' work right now, dumped them on the floor and said, kids, go wild. Can, can you imagine that that experience would not be pleasant to endure, would it? If we kind of stole down there now, tipped it over to these instruments to Lucy and let Lucy figure out what happens next. That would not be pleasant. But if you have one and you have many, if you have people preserving their manyness whilst also taking on a sense of oneness in Jesus, then you have symphony. Diversity is to be like an orchestra where we're all playing different sounds, but we have the same overarching piece of music, and that will sound wonderful to a watching world that is fragmented and broken. The biggest conversation our nation is having right now is how do we relate to people who are different to us? which is Brexit. How are we going to relate to them? What's Trump trying to do? He's trying to figure out, the whole globe is figuring out how to relate to those who are different to us. But when they look in at God first, they can hear something totally different that is beautiful because diversity is being worked out where there's manyness and oneness. But here's the truth of the matter. This is the rub. Diversity is difficult because sometimes the instruments clash. Sometimes the manyness collides with the oneness. And the church, we have to figure that stuff out. And we see that in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, the church leaders were scratching their head and they're they're trying to work out what are they going to do about the injustice between the Greek and the Hebrew widows in the distribution of food. Because essentially that's a diversity problem because there are different preferences between the Greeks and Hebrews. There's, they've got to figure that stuff out. I mean, what are they going to do about the people in the church that haven't been circumcised? What, what, what are we going to do about that? I thought they needed to be circumcised in order to be marked to be with God's people, but the Holy Spirit has come upon these Gentiles anyway. Yeah. Yeah, what, what are we going to do with that? That makes no sense. There's this oneness and manyness. They've, they've got to figure that out. And what about meals? They had to figure out how they're going to do meals now uh, in church life. Because this person eats pork, which I find disgusting, and I found disgusting my entire life, dating back to my father Moses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and now, here they are, sitting in church. They're eating pork alongside me, which makes me want to choke because I find that so disgusting. Mm. Can we ask them to eat separately to us? 
because we're so repulsed by you eating and enjoying pork. This was the issues that they were grappling with. And what the church needed to do is to tackle their preferences and their prejudices. You, you know you have preferences for things, don't you? This is my preferred way of doing things. And then sometimes we inflate those preferences to full-blown prejudices. If you don't do it like me, you're wrong. Yes. But my way is best. Now, how I follow Christ, it's not a preference, it's that you've got to express holiness in this way. And so they had to figure out how they tackle preferences and prejudice. Uh, they had to do all of this in light of the cross. And that is crucial. Because God has reconciled them, yes, first to God, but he's also now reconciled them to one another. They've been empowered to be reconciled to one another, despite their differences. And this is the logic of Ephesians 2 and 3. They remain many, but they've become one in Jesus Christ. And that has always been the plan for the church. It was always God's intention that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God will be displayed. And there's something about the principalities and powers. They're going to look at the church and they're going to see male and female and slave and free and barbarian and Scythian all together for the glory of God. And they're going to be asking themselves, how on earth has that happened? God must be so wise, God must be so powerful, now we can see unity without uniformity. Here, there is diversity, but there's no division. Wow, God, you're amazing. There's no male or female, Jew or Gentile, slave or free, but Christ is all and Christ is in all. That is amazing. Uh, That is what the church is supposed to be displaying, that the gospel reconciles us to one another because God has done it. Uh, And that is what... We, the church, you, the church, should be displaying in Cheltenham and to a watching world. This has always been the story. And I wonder, I wonder, in a monoculture town like Cheltenham, what does the gospel orchestra look like? Mm. I just wonder. The second analogy, just to help us dig into this, I want us to think about the Amazon River. The second analogy is that the people of God, they're a little bit like the Amazon River. At its source in the mountains of Peru, I'm told there's a tiny trickle of water. And people would say, behold, or this is the source of the Amazon River. And, and just like right at the beginning of the story of Genesis 12, an old man and woman are, are the source of God's blessing to the nation. This trickle of people, this old man, this old woman, they don't look very impressive. But God has said, through them, I'm going to bless the nations. Mm. It's like someone speaking to that little trickle of a stream and saying, in you, all of South America will get water. I mean, it'd be laughable. It'd be like, this little trickle in Peru in the mountains? All of South America is going to get its water? That's a nonsense. How how can that be? But as this river begins to wind its way through the book of Genesis, it begins to grow to a point where you can no longer jump across it or the flow is so strong, you can't actually walk across it now and it's just getting deeper. And at the end of the book of Genesis, God's people number 70 as they enter Egypt. They're a size that is noticeable 
but it's not yet of any significant scale. 400 years later, they leave, yes, as a small nation, but they're still surrounded by more powerful ones. So just as this tiny trickle in the mountains of Peru, as it keeps flowing and growing in the uplands of Peru, you now need a boat to cross it as it flows on down towards Brazil. But as the Amazon River reaches the Brazilian rainforest, something remarkable happens. Other rivers begin to rapidly feed into it. You still have the Amazon River. It can be identified all the way back to that trickle right up in the mountains of Peru. But now you begin to see other rivers, these tributaries flowing in from all sorts of directions and rapidly growing and filling the Amazon River. And this is what happens in the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit descends and rapidly adds in other nations, Gentile nations, that's us. We now begin to join the people of God. And then very quickly, this river expands dramatically. Now it's much larger. It's much more influential. And it's still happening today. New nations, new people groups are joining the river of God's purposes. And when they do, they retain their sense of history. So we will have an African leopard skin print uh, on a a woman uh, on a Sunday morning. They retain their sense of history of their source, but now they also take on a new identity in God's people. First and foremost, she is a daughter of the living God now. That's a, a primary identity, but she still retains something of her source. So we join God's people, still as the people we come from, Americans amongst us this morning, and the Brits, no doubt a few Welsh, who knows. We still join the people of God, yet we are one in our manyness as we flow towards the sea. By the time the Amazon hits the Atlantic, I am told it's carrying more water than the next 10 biggest rivers combined. It carries 10% of the world's fresh water. It's so powerful, I'm told, that it turns a salty ocean fresh up to 200 miles out to sea. You can still see a a column of fresh water sitting on top of the salt water. It's amazing, I'm told. In one sense, this is what John saw prophetically when he looked out and he saw a great multitude that no one could number, where every nation and tribe were standing before the throne of God. That's what he was seeing, this vast throne of every tongue, every tribe, every clan. He saw many who become one, and he saw one people who were made up of many diverse people. When we think about the orchestra, when we think about the Amazon, we've got to be honest and and remind ourselves that we're all outsiders in, in God's people. Gospel diversity, it's not a question of white people saying, we want to welcome in black people. It's not about black people saying, we want to welcome white people in. In a sense, we are all outsiders, we've all been welcomed in by someone else, Jesus has allowed us in. All of these tributaries 
have been allowed in by Jesus to come to his banquet. Because these are his rules, this is his house, this is his table, and everyone, everyone is invited. Now you may be wondering, Sean, we live in Cheltenham, which is known as a middle class white town, city. Why are you telling us thing? Well, because I've been looking at Gloucester's County Council's population profile for Cheltenham. And I'm thinking in my mind that churches should reflect the diversity of the community that they serve. And according to Gloucester County Council, the population profile of this town is characterised by a comparatively small black and ethnic minority, just under 6%. When for most of England, it's almost 15%. Of which 3% of your 6% is Asian. Which really surprised me, little I know of your town. 3%. You've got also a lot of white others who are not British, but you, they're Poles, Eastern European. You just don't realise that they're outsiders because of the colour of the skin doesn't give it away. Cheltenham has a lower proportion of uh, 0 to 19 year olds and 20 to, 20, uh, 20 to 64 year olds. But actually, your people over 65 exceeds the national figure. Did you know that? You have uh, over 65, you are bigger in that area than you should be. 20% of, 20 of this room should be over 65 if you're reflecting the diversity of your town. That, that's quite challenging for a church plant that's just getting going. We know why you're at, but in terms of what God is calling you to, now why is that important to understand? Because the percentage of people with long-term limiting health problems or disability in Cheltenham is about 15%. 15% of the people in this church, if you're reflecting the community you're serving, should be having a long-term limiting health problem. And because of your age profile, dementia will be one of the biggest causes. And, and, and so as you sit down and think about how do we reflect the town, you've got to humble yourself and think, do we have a part to play? Is there going to be a small trickle of a tributary from these different sectors of the town that we're called to serve? How are we thinking about them? 50% of people in Cheltenham are married, which means, and, and this is the, uh, the census came back, 10% of those people in Cheltenham are divorced. 10%. And so I'm hoping within this church there are divorced people and they feel welcome and included because everyone is invited into the family of God. Cheltenham has the highest proportion of single people almost 39%. It's the highest proportion in the county and it exceeds the national figures. Now, I've always thought you've been strong and you've got a great army of single people, but actually, Cheltenham has lots of single, bright people. Now, and this isn't even looking at the social economic breakdown of Cheltenham because it's not just white middle-class people are living here. I remember when you were in Pates, it was in Pates School and, and there was just, there's lots going on in your town. Now, I wonder, I wonder for God first, given that you've now got an African elder amongst you. I, I wonder, how should God first be reflecting the community that you are serving? I wonder if any of these statistics that Gloucester County Council population profile have come up with, I wonder in the future whether any of these statistics will become a small trickle into the flow of 
God first. I wonder, are you starting to dream about who's not in the room? Who's not in the room? How can you be different from the monoculture, which I'm told of Cheltenham is white middle-class people who are actually very well educated because of the way that your town works largely. How are you going to reflect that? How are you going to change that? How is the multicoloured wisdom of God going to be demonstrated amongst you? Not just in ethnicity, not just in age range, but in mental health issues or married or single or social economic. You can fill in the numbers. What is God going to do? In a few moments, we're going to receive the bread and wine of communion. Those of us who've put our trust in Jesus, who have repented, who've left the life of our source river and now joined the great river of the purposes of God, we're going to receive communion together. Howard's going to lead us into that. We're going to take the bread and the juice and we're going to feed on him. We're going to trust again in his promises, because by faith, the small trickle that is our life has now joined the mighty flow of his life. It's amazing. It's amazing what God is doing. He's taken the small trickle of your life, whether you're from America or some of those, there's a few, there's an Asian continent there and some Africans and some Europeans. He's taken the small trick of our life and added us into the flow of his life. And but why is that? Because everyone is invited to take their place at the feast in the kingdom of God. But if you're here this morning and you know that the small trickle of your life isn't flowing into Jesus, you, you do need to repent. You do need to put your trust in Jesus. And then, amazingly, he will invite the small trickle of your life into the tributary that is God first. Mm. And you'll be caught up in the mighty flow of his life. And then you can take communion at the end of this morning when you've put your trust in Jesus. Mm. I put my trust in him 30 years ago. I've never regretted it. I'm still the son of an Irish immigrant. Mm. But my bigger calling is now I'm part of the people of God. And I'm a part of a mighty flow. And one day I'm going to be amongst this great throng from people from all nations, from all backgrounds, from all of history, before the throne of God with great confidence in my right standing with him. And then eternally I will enjoy him to heaven. But until that day comes, I will wait patiently. And we're going to feed on the bread and juice of Christ. But if you're not yet following Christ... Please put your trust in. Please come and see me at the end. Please don't leave this meeting if you haven't yet put your trust in. It's vitally important you're caught up with this. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.